which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to, I need you to turn to two places. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read a few verses there, and the majority of our sermon, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And as you're turning, let me go ahead and talk a little bit. Uh, we, uh, last week, we began a series in the, in, on prayer, starting the year really in prayer, and we're looking particularly at the, at the Lord's Prayer and uh, just as I was thinking about prayer this week, you know, prayer is this huge topic. I mean, it's, it's so broad. There's a lot that we could really focus on when we think about prayer. It's an immense um, topic for anyone to, to undertake. And, and theologians and, and scholars and people that have written books about prayer often comment how, how difficult the, the subject is to, to hone down. Uh, and interestingly, they say it's, it's, it's not a difficult topic because we can't define prayer. It's a difficult topic because most of us don't think we do it very well. And so, I mean, you know, woe is, is me as the person that uh, embarks on uh, the, the journey of trying to write down anything about prayer. It is a difficult topic because many of us feel small and helpless when we think about ourselves in the activity of prayer. And therein is why we're doing this, this series. Uh, many of us, when it comes to prayer, we feel inadequate. Last week, I used the word, we struggle, and I gave several reasons why many of us at least have the perspective that we are struggling in prayer. And that's why, particularly, I've decided to look at the Lord's Prayer, firstly, to narrow the, the, the topic a little bit. So we're looking particularly at just a few things in regards to prayer, but, but more so because Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is teaching us how to pray. For those of you that are familiar with your Bible, you know that you can find Jesus talking about prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in uh, two of the Gospels, Matthew 6, we're going to read those verses here in a couple seconds, and also Luke 11. What's interesting about each one of those is he's offering this guidance on prayer in, in terms of two different contexts. In Matthew 6, he's, he's talking about prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's standing, sitting on a mountain, there's hordes of people looking out, uh, uh, that he's looking out over and that are watching him, and he's hitting a bunch of topics, and he happens to talk about prayer. In Luke 11, it's a totally different context. Jesus happens to be coming from prayer, and the disciples, these Jews who would have been familiar with the synagogue and the Torah and hearing or perhaps even participating in uh, religious liturgy where the men of God were praying, uh, see Jesus coming back from prayer, and they notice something different about Jesus that they did, that they uh uh, separate from the other religious people that they've noticed. They notice that his praying is different, and they have the courage in that moment to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so uh, we're going to begin uh, here in Matthew 6. We're going to read a few verses, and here's the cool thing about reading uh, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. As we're reading, we're also praying. We're praying the model of prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So we're going to start our sermon today 
praying. So if you didn't get your prayer in before you came to church, guess what? Jeff's going to help you. You're going to pray a little prayer as we're beginning the sermon, and hopefully that'll help me too. Matthew 6, we are going to read and pray starting in uh, like 9, a little, a few words in, and go all the way to uh, verse 13. If you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, do me a favor, actually look down in your Bible because we want to read these words, or you can cheat and look at the screen. Let's say these together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone said, Amen. There's a beauty and a simplicity in the Lord's Prayer. These words that we've just read and prayed together. And I think that the beauty and the simplicity is in a couple of things. It's just, it's just nice prose. The words go together. There's a flow to it. So Jesus obviously was getting at something when he put these strings of, string of words together and created sentences that now we call verses in the Bible. But they're also um, beautiful to us because we've heard them over and over again, perhaps in life. Many of you um, have recited these over at, as beginning as a little kid. You might have memorized parts of the Lord's Prayer, probably all of it. Uh, but that, you know, the, the fact that it's so easy to recite is one of the things that trips us up because things that come easy to us or that seem simple are easy to misunderstand or even to dismiss, aren't they? When I was in elementary school, um, me and my best friend Steve, uh, we were water boys for the, the high school football team. That sounds like, you know, that sounds kind of mundane or, or tedious. It actually was a pretty cool gig, especially as an elementary school kid. Um, we had a pretty good high school uh, football team. Uh, they were, they usually made it to the state playoffs every year. And because it was a good team, um, they traveled all over the place. And as water boys, we had to do a little bit of work, but of course we were, we were young. We weren't really doing that much. But we got to travel with the team. One of the things that I remember about being on the football team wasn't just the, being, being on the, a water boy uh, for the football team, wasn't necessarily all the football that we played. It wasn't even the travel that we did. It was the fact that we always said the Lord's Prayer. And so on a Friday, uh, for the most part, we would load the bus up, all the players, the coaches would get on the buses, and regardless of what bus I got on, I recall before the bus driver started the bus and we took off, the coaches, the players, even the bus driver, and of course all the, the admin and people like me and my, 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 my buddy Steve that were the water boys would recite the Lord's Prayer. And so here's, there's two things really that's fascinating about that for me. I didn't grow up as a Christian, and so I didn't have a history of prayer. I went to church as a, as a kid, but there weren't like nightly dinners with devotion. Uh, I don't remember our family like coming together, holding hands, bowing our head, doing a lot of prayer as a young kid. I mean, we prayed about twice a year at Thanksgiving and Christmas when our family came together and we, you know, everybody's there, we're holding hands, standing in a circle and, you know, sort of like commemorating the holiday. That was prayer to me. And so the Lord's Prayer as a young elementary school kid on these, you know, football buses, 
um, were formative for me. Firstly, it taught me something about the Bible I didn't know. And, uh, you know, obviously I learned the Lord's Prayer. But here's a second thing. As I think back on those days, uh, you got all these coaches, high school athletes, and we're all reciting the Lord's Prayer. But, but pretty much for the most part, and of course I'm, I'm assuming, and you shouldn't assume, but I'm pretty sure of this one. There weren't a whole bunch of people who were following Jesus on that bus, but we're all reciting the Lord's Prayer, which just goes to prove uh, a lot of us can know the Lord's Prayer without having any kind of relationship with the Lord at all. We can just be going through the motions. We can be uh, reciting to God a prayer, the model of a prayer that he's given us to recite with, without addressing the God that, that gave us the prayer at all. And I think that's the problem, even for us Christians. Firstly, sometimes this prayer, this, this particular prayer, because we've said it throughout all of our life, it's kind of cultural. Uh, we can be so familiar with it that uh, we just say it and say it and say it without even um, thinking about the words that we are, are saying. The second thing is we can offer this prayer without taking note of the power that is in it for us and what Jesus actually meant when he taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer. And so that's one of the things that I want to do in this series. The next several weeks, we want to look at exactly what was Jesus teaching when he taught the Lord's Prayer, and in the words, in the verses of this prayer, what does he want me to learn about how to pray. Uh, I'm going to show you the titles of the sermons, uh, the sermon titles that we're going to use. These are pretty simple, but I think if you can grasp each of these phrases and then the, you know, the, what Jesus meant by the, the, the things that we see here uh, and that he'll articulate with some words added, then in essence, you will know how he wants us to pray. Father, your name, your kingdom, your will, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, and amen. Of course, uh, if you read your Bible, very likely you don't have an amen after verse 13. It's not in, in, in Luke, uh, the Luke's version either. So we'll talk about that. That actually comes from another place in Scripture, and uh, those who wrote down the Bible, those scribes, at, in, in later days, they thought it needed to be added. And so if uh, I many of you grew up with the Lord's Prayer and you remember, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Okay, there's a reason why you say that. Uh, and it's not necessarily wrong for us to say it. So we'll hit that as, as we close. So eight phrases, about 16 words. And these really contain the essence of what Jesus wants us to know about praying. This is a pattern for prayer. It's not wrong that during a liturgy, like during a worship gathering where people of God are coming and talking to the Lord, that we pray this prayer. We did it today, and that's okay. But Jesus meant this not necessarily as the specific words that we always have to pray when we're praying. He meant it as a pattern. Jesus is teaching how we should pray. We're going to start in Luke. I'm going to read two verses in Luke, and I'm going to read out of the CSB, all right, the Christian Standard Version. This uh, this uh the CSB was updated about a year ago, and I really like the way this reads. He was in a certain place. He, Jesus, was in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, 
Whenever you pray, say, Father. Everyone say, Father. Father. There it is. Here's why I like this version, because it catches us off guard. If you've got your NIV with you today, if you've got your ESB with you today, uh, if you've got your New American Standard with you today, all of those versions will say, uh, Our Father in Heaven. The CSB does something interesting as a newer translation. It strips all those other words away, and it just says, when you pray, say, Father. And it's not that the other versions are wrong. In fact, the CSB will have a a subscript that says, uh, some translations say, Our Father in Heaven. But what this does uniquely for us is it hones us in on one particular word that Jesus used to start his prayer and to therefore teach his disciples how to pray. And I like that because I think that's the word that we need to focus on as we learn how to pray. Uh, Don Carson is one of the uh, most known theologians in our world today. And here's what Don Carson says about prayer. The Jews of this period preferred preferred exalted titles for God, like sovereign Lord, king of the universe, and the like. Jesus called him Father. Abba, he said to God. And this is an Aramaic word used by children to address their father. It's not quite as familiar as daddy, but more familiar than father. It reminds me of the way French-speaking Canadian children frequently address their fathers saying, Papa. Don Carson is a Canadian, so that that last sentence there, French children, French-Canadian-speaking children saying, Papa, that's where that reference comes from. So the New Testament was written in Greek. The language that Jesus and his disciples would have spoken would have been the the ancient language of Aramaic. And the Aramaic word for father is Abba. And so when Jesus is telling his disciples to pray father, he probably used that Aramaic word Abba. Or perhaps as we would say it, like the French Canadian children, Papa. And that's what Jesus is teaching us how to, how to pray. So I want to unpack um, why Jesus would tell his disciples to start praying that way. Why would he invite his disciples both then and now to start our prayers with this word, Father or, or Abba? Why would he have us pray this way? And really my sermon outline is, just, is, is, is really simple. Four reasons why beginning our prayer with the word Father or Abba is really the foundation of how we should pray, beginning with this. Abba highlights our unique relationship to God. There is something to be said uh, for the brotherhood of all mankind and the fatherhood of God. When you go back to Genesis, on the sixth day, God created man, male and female, he created them, right? And then from our first parents, Adam and Eve, if you believe the Bible in the days of creation, then all of humanity comes from those two people. God is the creator. He creates man. We're brothers and sisters, all of us. la di da to everybody, right? And God is the creator of all. And so that kind of makes sense. This is true. Paul corroborates that. Acts 17, 24 to 28. And they, that they should, I'm starting in the middle of the, of the phrase here, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are 
his offspring. So Paul walked into Athens. He was on a missionary journey. Paul immediately noticed in Athens the, the idols that the, 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 the Athenians were worshiping, and he felt grieved that they would worship idols and have statues to unknown gods when he knew the real God. And so Paul, being the missionary, is basically trying to help these Athenians. I mean, he's trying to bridge a gap to this pagan people and help them know who the real God is. And as he's doing that, he sort of comes upon this idea. We are all create creators from the same God, and therefore we are brothers and sisters. And oh, by the way, the God that you're saying is unknown is the God of the universe, the God of uh, the, the God that I know and the God that I worship. So in a sense, Paul is saying, yes, God is our creator. We're all um, a part of humanity. We're brothers. God is the father of us all. But if we would backtrack and go to the Old Testament, the Old Testament actually teaches us a little bit something different, a little bit something more specific. In the Old Testament, it teaches us it's not just humanity that's homogenous. It's the nation of Israel in particular that God calls himself the father over. And it's the people of God that are the true brothers and sisters on the planet. Deuteronomy 32 verses 5 and 6, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Thus, uh, do you thus re uh, repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and who established you? And so uh, I'm giving you like snippets, and it's, it's, you're not getting the, the complete picture here. Moses is talking. Um, he's really arguing. He's talking about a generation of of people, of Israelites, who have forgotten God. They've moved away from God and of his laws. And in verse 5, Moses is basically saying that God is, is the one that's made all humanity, and he has created not just all the people of the world of which he has, but he singles in on this idea of he's the creator of the nation of Israel. He is your father. Then we come to uh, this verse that talks about the promise that God gave to David, that he would have an heir on the throne and his throne would endure forever. Second Samuel verses, uh, chapter 7, verse 12 and 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Solomon, right? Who, who was the heir to David's throne? It was Solomon. And basically, um, this second Samuel verse is highlighting the fact that uh, the singular intention of the Old Testament is highlighting this fact that it's the nation of Israel and the descendants of Abraham that would be um, the, 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 the perpetrators of the, 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 the line of God's people. And so two things, really. Since God is the father of all human beings, um, he is the maker of us also. Therefore, he is he is our father. But when you come to the Old Testament, there's this narrow idea that it's the people of God, the nation of Israel that are the true descendants 
of Abraham. But here's the, here's the bigger issue that I'm trying to get at by showing you some of these verses. Uh, the imagery of, of God in the Bible is, is that being a father for God is to be the father of the nation of Israel. And when we read that in the Bible, particularly it's God saying that through the prophets about himself. The interesting thing is you'll never hear an Israelite say that God is my father. So when you look at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when you look at David and Solomon, when you look at uh, Esther and Ruth, when you look at all the prophets, beginning with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the minor prophets, none of them would have dared to say that God is my father, that Yahweh, the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is, is my father, is my Abba. But of course, in the New Testament, Jesus comes. And listen to how Jesus prays. Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so in in contrast to the Old Testament, where no one talked about God that intimately, as if I belong to him and he is my father, although they understood that concept, Jesus comes and he, he prays pretty much all throughout the Gospels, Father, but he's using this, this, this Aramaic word, Abba. In fact, if you would do a, a close study of every time Jesus says, Father, I'm, I, was, I was reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke last week. And before that, I was reading through the Gospel uh, of John. There's this, I mean, Jesus, when he's talking about God, he always calls him Father. And most of the times, it's that word Abba. There's only one time that Jesus did not call God Abba. And that's when he's on the cross. He, he has his arms outstretched. He's been crucified. And he, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all the other times, Jesus um, uses this term as he's talking to God, as he's praying to God, as he's referring to God as Father. He says, Abba. We would say, Papa. You can't tell by the context of the Bible, but if you do a little research, and obviously if you understand just the storyline of Scripture, this is revolutionary. The fact that the the, the, the people of God of old, the people of the Old Testament, wouldn't dare to call God that intimate of a name. In fact, think about it. This is why Jesus uh, was crucified, because he blasphemed, because of the way that he said that he communicated with God, but, but because of the fact that he said he was God. The, the religious leaders, uh, they did not like the, the, the closeness of proximity that Jesus um, seemed to assume that he had with God. And yet he's teaching us to pray. He's teaching us to pray that, that God is our Father. Jesus prays this way. He also invites us to pray that way. And I think we take that for granted. I think us Christians are so used to praying Father that the the term has become uh, non-useful for us. It, it, it's lost the revolutionary nature behind it. And a lot of times when we say father in our day, it, it's, it's cultural because we're, we've read the Bible. We know what the Bible says. 
When we say Father, sometimes we think, uh, I, I, at least for me, I use it more like a title for God rather than the way Jesus is telling me that I can come to God, not just as this father figure, but, but Abba, the, the, the closeness and intimacy of a God who wants to communicate with me, who loves me, who has care and concern for me, the same care and concern that he had for his eternal son, Jesus. He's offering us this intimate relationship with him, this creator of the world, of the cosmos and all that we know. He invites you and I to come to him as if we were little children. Abba, Papa. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, because he's teaching us about this unique relationship that we have to God as Father. Of course, that comes through the Son, and we're being invited into that as well. The second thing that Second reason I think Jesus talks about Father as the way to pray. It celebrates our adopted relationship to God. That is, it celebrates the privilege of our relationship with God because of our relationship with Jesus that we have by faith. Look at what John's gospel says. John 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is an implication of the gospel. And so you are saved uh, by grace through faith. And as, I mean, the, the thing that happens for you, in you, to you, as a result of your salvation is, this verse says, you become a son of God. John uniquely writes, for those that receive Jesus and believe in him, specifically believe in his name, we get to come to God as if we were his very own children. Look at what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the, the key words here are this idea of adoption. That's one of the things I like about our church. We, are, uh, we have this, uh, uh, this culture of adoption in our church that we aren't even trying to have. We celebrate it uh, over the holidays that uh, Robert and Brandy Mihok uh, have this, this young girl that they were foster parents for for about a year, and then they um, finally go through all the, the legal, legal things that uh, enable them to to not only just keep this kid as a steward, but to call her my daughter. Okay, so that happened over the, the holidays. And there's many of you here sitting right in this room that have been foster parents or that have adopted, and some of you that are in that same process. And so here's the, I mean, you know this, this is the idea of, of adoption. It's someone who's not a bi- biological entity of a family that becomes that. In fact, they are welcomed into the family as if they were a biological child. They're welcomed into the family, and they're given the full privilege of the family home. Open the refrigerator, get some food out. Well, maybe not until they're of age, right? You know, all those things that you have the privilege of happening in a family, this is the idea that uh, is being put forth here by Paul. Being just as loved 
as a natural born son or daughter would be, even though you've been grafted in from some other family. And the biblical imagery is is like this. Jesus truly is the one and only son of God, right? He, he's the, the only one that rightly can call God Papa. But what, what Jesus does is he goes on a mission. He comes from eternity. He comes to earth and God sets him on a mission to find those that God is calling to himself. Those who God predestined, he called and he brings us to faith and Jesus uniquely stewards us. And it's, it's as if he's saying he finds us things like, all right, so you've received Jesus. You've believed in his name. You've asked God to forgive you. How about I call you my brothers and sisters? I'm going to take you and, and, and bring you into the presence of my father. Introduce him as your new, uh, his new children and introduce you to your new father, your Abba, your Papa. That's, that's really, is, I think, what's happening here in this text. And again, this is, this is the incredible intro that Jesus is giving us to this prayer. That because Jesus has this relationship with God, his eternal father, by faith we get to experience that same thing. We don't come to God because we're good enough, because we have been obedient, this week, because um, we've dotted all of our I's and crossed all of our T's. That's not the relationship that we have with God. We have a relationship, Paul says, that's particularly through Jesus, who earned the right for us to be called children of God. We can come to God, our Father, because of our faith in Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel. We get to come to his father and relate to him the same exact way that Jesus does as the eternal son of God. Thirdly, Abba shows our family relationship with God. Look what the writer of Hebrews says here. I think I'm, uh, this is the NIV, skipping some translations for y'all this week. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And then verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who, who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Um, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. And that should, I mean, that, those are good words. I mean, in fact, you should be a little surprised by that. This is an interesting verse. Uh, If you look at this verse in the NIV, the ESV, and the the CSB, particularly in uh, in verse 11 where it says family right there in the EIV, in 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 the ESV it says source, in the CSB it says, uh, I can't remember what it says, it says father. But what he's talking about is we're all lumped together. God's our father. We're, we're all coming from the same source. We're brothers and sisters. And I mean, that's, that should be good news for us because sometimes when we think about ourselves, our own lives, and, and the ways that we don't get it quite right, the, way, the days that you're proud, the days that um, you're angry, the days that you're bitter, the days that you make a complete mess of your life, our tendency is to be I mean, I would be ashamed to call me my brother on some days of my life, 
right? I mean, but here's what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to sanctify you and make you holy. That's the, the, we're right. But both, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus comes and he, he makes us ready to be the children of God. And, and, and it's as if we are clothed with the righteousness that we don't have of ourselves. Jesus puts on us his righteousness. He gives us the good name of the people of God. And therein are we allowed to come to God as his children, as brothers and sisters. We're coming in on the coattails of Jesus. And God welcomes us into his family. And so when we say Father, when we say Abba, if you prefer, if you, if you say Papa, what we're doing is we're coming alongside, you know, don't, don't be offended by the, the terminology. We're, we're coming alongside our older brother, our spiritual brother, Jesus, who carries us into the presence of a father that, that gladly welcomes us because we're coming not on our own merits. We're coming on the merits of Jesus who loved us and died for us. And that, that, I mean, it matters not if you've blown it, even if you've had the worst day that you could possibly have. Because of Jesus, whether we've done good or whether we've done bad, God receives us because we've received Jesus and believed in his name. And I think that's what the beginning of this prayer means. So when you're saying Father, you're not just calling God a title. Like he's some ruler in some far off place and you're giving allegiance to him. There's an intimacy that he's allowing us to, to have, even in that word, that one single word, father, Abba, Papa. It's highlighting our relationship. It celebrates that we've been adopted. It shows that we are part of God's family. And lastly, it underlines our intimate relationship with God. That is, this is how personal we can be with the creator of everything that is. We get to call him Papa. Look what Paul writes in Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. This verse should sound familiar. Paul wrote similar words to the church at Galatia. Remember Galatians 4? And so in, in Galatians, Paul wrote, we have the Spirit and the Spirit cries, Abba. Look what's different here. He says, here in Romans, he, gives, he goes one step further. He, he says, we've received Jesus, and because he's given us his Spirit, we are now able to come and cry out, Abba. We can call God Papa. Hatton Robinson was uh, he, a great preacher. I can't call him the preacher of preachers. That's the, that's the term we call Spurgeon. But um, at least in America, really around the world, um, every person that's gone through seminary that goes on to preach is grateful for Hatton Robinson because of his work in expository preaching and the books that he wrote. Hatton Robinson says this about prayer, and this is from his book, uh, Jesus, Blueprint for for prayer. He says, when Christians bow before God and call him Father, they are acknowledging that at the heart of the universe is not only ultimate power, but ultimate love. The, the word to focus in on there is, is this idea of, of love. 
And I think that's why Paul would go on to, to say, I mean, the, the, you remember these words, the, the, the great words at the end of Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, from the love of my Abba, my Papa. And how do we have that? We have it because it's in my big brother, Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Haddon Robinson is, is bringing out here. That nothing, there's nothing that can, that can cut that bond that we have with God because it's, it's, it's not of our own merit. We're coming on the coattails of Jesus, so to speak. I've received Jesus. I've believed in his name. Now I'm re- in relationship with God all because of Jesus. And nothing can interfere with that. Like nothing. Nothing that I do. Nothing that anybody else does. I can come and I can pray with that level of intimacy. All right, here's a test. Show this picture. Are any of y'all old enough to remember this picture? I know y'all are a young congregation. I, I wasn't even born when this picture was taken. This is October 1963. This picture is taken. Um, so President Kennedy would have died in November of 63. So one month after this, this is the Oval Office. Of course, that's President John F. Kennedy. And underneath the resolute desk, the, I mean, the most historic desk in all of America, given to the United States, I think, under the presidency of Rutherford B. Hayes in the 1880s by Queen Victoria um, as a gift. And every president since Kennedy, except for a couple, have used this desk. Um, what's unique about this picture is, of course, the grandeur of the Oval Office. The president is working, probably posing for a picture a little bit. But you see that little kid there? That's John Jr. He's, he's no more than two years old. Jackie was pregnant during the campaign, had him while they were in presidency. All he knows at this point is life in the White House. Does he look like intimidated? Absolutely not. He's having a good time. He doesn't know his dad is the president. He doesn't know this is a famous building. He doesn't know this is a famous desk. He's just enjoying the moment underneath his dad's feet, in his dad's presence, and he's there because he gets to be there. This picture here is interesting. I don't know what's going on. There's some men in suits. Obviously, they, they belong there because they're hunkered around the president. It looks Maybe they're cabinet members or... Um, some politicians, who, who knows whatever's going on. But look what you have here. Little John. John, John. He's like hanging out. And he probably shouldn't be there. But he's there. Why is he there? Because his dad lets him be there. What this picture says to me uh, is the posture that sometimes we come with prayer. You know, sometimes, most of the times when I think I'm praying, this is who I am. I'm dressed up, I'm formal, I'm saying, Father, God, Lord of the universe, you are high and lifted up. And I know that I have the authority to come to God in prayer because the Bible tells me so. These men are in the room because they've invited to be in the room. You can't go in the, you can't go in the Oval Office unless you're invited to be there, right? So sometimes we pray formally like that, like these men are in this room in a formal setting with the president. This is how... This is what it means when you're able to pray, Father, but more than that, Abba, Papa. 
it means you pray like this. There's a formality about it, but you, I mean, you're like under the desk, coming as you want, smiling, enjoying the presence of your Father. And I think that's what God is inviting us to, just to be in the presence of our dad. Now, here's the problem. Some of us are afraid to pray like that. Some of us don't feel like we deserve to pray like that. But that's what we're being invited into. When you pray, Abba, you're reminding yourself of the relationship that Jesus has that you are now being adopted into. And like Jesus, you can approach God anytime, even when he's in a formal meeting with someone else that's praying about something else going on in their lives or in the world. You can tell the king of the universe, whatever's on your mind, he's going to listen all because of Jesus. And I think that's the foundation of prayer. Everything that we pray is based upon our relationship to God. That is, he is our father, our Abba, our Papa. We come on the coattails of Jesus. Jesus paves the way and makes it so that we can pray to God. We can gain the access to God. We pray to God based upon the goodness and the love and the compassion and the concern that God has for us, because of, the, because of the, the, the intimate relationship we have with him, because of he's adopted us into his family. And here's what I think is key in regards to prayer, and particularly saying this word, Father. And I, I mean, this is for me too. Until we understand and believe this access that we have to God, the rest of the way that Jesus tells us how to pray is not going to make any sense to you. If you can't get that God welcomes you to come to him as as you're you're a child of his, just like John, John. Not formal like these men, but like John, he's welcoming you in his presence as his child. He's your dad. When you get that, then it allows you to go to the rest of the prayer, the rest of the ways that he teaches us how to pray in the Lord's prayer. And so I tried this a couple times this week. I'm still getting the hang of it, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of a formal guy, even in my, you know, my spirituality. So I'm praying and I'm, I'm not saying father too much because father to me is, is, I mean, I think theology when I think father. I think God is up here. You are God in heaven and I'm here on earth. Psalmist says, let my words be few. It's like, Lord, thank you for the day. I love you. Bless me. Bless my family. But when you say, when you don't say Father, at least because Father is theological for me, and you exchange it for Abba, or for maybe for you as Papa, doesn't that have this intimate, familial, like I can say whatever's on my mind and my heart and not feel like I'm going to offend God? I can actually tell him what's going on. I can let down my hair. I don't have any hair. I can, I can be me, and God's going to receive me as me because... I mean, he knows, he already knows what's going on, and he actually enjoys the conversation. I think that's what we're being invited into. God is inviting us into this level of, of intimacy. So I would, I would encourage you to try that. Now, this is probably a good time for me to, to mention that some of you just have a difficult time with this topic of father because of your past. Perhaps you 
every thought of, of father reminds you of your physical father that you may have, I mean, you, you think of father and you, you're reminded of when you got beaten when you were a kid, or perhaps it was even worse. Maybe you were verbally abused, physically abused, sexually abused. Maybe you were abandoned all at the hands of your father. So you hear somebody like me standing up saying, well, you should call God your father, your Abba, your Papa. And you're saying, you know what? I'm sorry. I just can't go there. I can't do that. And I understand that. And I don't want to dismiss how you feel and the experience that you've had. But here would be my encouragement for you. Don't take what is your real experience with a real biological or real earthly father and project that on your heavenly father because they're diametrically opposed to each other. The truth is there's no such thing as a perfect father on our earth. And all the dads say amen. Right? I mean, we want to get it right. We don't. It's just, I mean... We're sinful people, and we say things and do things, and we don't do things that we should. I mean, we're not going to get it quite right. But we would be wrong to create the the picture, to draw a picture of um, the perfect father and, and say that our dad on earth is like that, because that's too much pressure for a dad on earth. None of us can measure up to that. But we have the opportunity because God welcomes us into this, because we've received Jesus and believe in his name, to have this perfect image of scripture of, of God as our father, as our papa. And, and here's the thing about God, and the Bible proves this. Life will prove this for you. God does not fail. He won't fail you. More than that, he comes and he invites all of us to draw near. He invites you to come to himself His arms are open wide. He's ready to come, ready for you to come to him. And he does that based upon your faith and in the eternal son, Jesus. And so, I mean, today, draw near, draw near toward God that that's ready to be your father. If you haven't yet allowed God to be your father, your Abba, your Papa, he's just sitting there waiting for the conversation, for the opportunity, for the intimacy of that relationship. Because everything else that Jesus is going to say in the Lord's Prayer is founded upon this idea that you can come to God as a father, as as Abba. So let me finish uh, very quickly giving you four ideas. What does this mean for us in regards to our prayer? Here's the first one. If God is our Abba, it means we can be bold. We can be bold in how we converse with God. The writer of Hebrews says that we should approach the throne of grace um, to receive mercy and grace in a time of need. And as a kid, you always have a need, right? I mean, you grow up and we still have needs. The writer of Hebrews is saying we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we can come anytime and God is going to welcome us because we come, you know, in the likes of our big brother, Jesus. And this is especially when we've sinned. I don't know if you're like me, but when I sin, it sort of makes my prayer life dive, right? I, I wait a couple of days before, I, before I, I'm tempted to engage God again because I, well, I mean, you feel bad that you sinned. 
You feel unworthy, maybe. But of course, it's those times when you don't get it quite right that you need to come to God in the first place. And so what the scripture is telling us is that we can actually come to God boldly with confidence and we're going to receive the mercy that we need to be in his presence. Why? Because he's our father. He's our Abba. So come to him boldly. It means we can be honest. It means we don't have to pretend that if he's our father, he already knows us. Parents, don't you already know your kids? You, if you're paying attention, you know their sin patterns. You can almost tell when they're getting in trouble. The house is quiet. Like, what's going on? Uh, my wife used to tell my kids that she had a, a third eye in the back of her head. You know, and kid, my kids believed that for a couple years, right? We don't have eyes in the back of our heads, do we, parents? But we do have a sense. Guess what that sense is? It's not a sixth sense. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you're, I mean, I don't know how he does it. He just does it. We're just in tune oftentimes, most of the time, with what's going on with our kids. And it's the same way between you and God. And so that means that you can come to him with whatever's on your mind. You can tell him how you're feeling. You can tell him what somebody did. You can tell him how you feel as a result. You can tell him how you've blown it. Blown it. You can tell him what you really want because that's what children do. And God calls you his child. Thirdly, um, if God is our Abba, it means we can be messy. We can be messy in our, not in our lives. Don't do that. But you can be messy in your prayer. I've read some good books on prayer. Let me recommend two to you. Everyday Prayers by Scotty Smith. And I'll put this on the weekly update. Everyday Prayers by Scotty Smith. Um, Scotty was a, a he's a retired Presbyterian pastor. And for a year, he journaled his prayers. And what Scotty in, this, in his book, Everyday Prayers, helps us to do is to pray regular prayers, and then he applies the gospel to it. And I've probably picked up that book every day for the last couple of years. And it's not only helped me know how to pray, it's helped me to apply the gospel to my life. Everyday prayers. I stole the title of this sermon series from that book. And it's just, a, it's just everyday It's just prayers every day. Um, but here's the book that I think might be helpful for all of us. It's A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And Paul Miller says, particularly in this idea of you being messy in your prayers, he says prayer is just a conversation. It really is just a conversation. And it's like you inviting your, your favorite friends over for, for dinner and just letting the conversation flow. I mean, have you ever had conversation, you're inviting your friends into your kitchen, your dining room, and you got an easel up, and the easel's like, all right, this is our agenda for our lunch. We're going to talk about the weather, and because of this NFL playoffs, we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Prayerfully that the, the Patriots don't make it. We're going to talk about the economy, and we're going to talk. We're going to get caught up about our kids, and of course, we can't not have a conversation about Donald Trump and his tweets, right? I mean, and we don't do that, right? We don't do that when we're having good friends over. We, the conversation just flows. And Paul Miller, in this very helpful book, basically says, I mean, that's what talking to God is. You know, as a, as a navigator, I learned ACTS, A-C-T-S, as uh, an acrostic of how to pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And that is really a good way to pray. Kind of model off of the, the Lord's Prayer. Paul Miller uh, doesn't challenge that. He says it is a good way to pray, especially if you're trying to learn how to pray. But in this idea of being messy, he says, you know what, conversation doesn't go like that. It doesn't have to be that formal. You can actually just say whatever's on your mind. If your mind floats around like mine does, like this week, I, I mean, this week I got distracted again. I'm in the car, turning the music off, trying to pray. Before I knew it, I was at Wegmans. It's like, what was I praying about? And why am I at Wegmans? Because my wife sent me to Wegmans. <laughs> 
And then I was in my office praying uh, for you know, just some stuff going on. And I had a list, and I'm praying through my list, and my mind got distracted. And here's what Paul Miller suggests, just in this idea of being messy. He says, just go with it, you know? And if you feel bad about it, just tell God you're sorry. Lord, you know what? I'm distracted. I really want to pray. I want to get focused on some things I want to share with you. And just start over or pick up where you left off, and it's actually okay. Because if God is your Father, He can handle you getting off track. He's just happy that you're having the conversation with him. Here's the fourth one. It means that we can be trusting. And this is a hard one because some of you have been hurt because of your prayers, right? Some of you have prayed for some things and those things have not been resolved. Some of you have some very serious things going on in your life, in your lives or the lives of those that you love. And God has not responded quite yet how you want him to respond, or maybe even how you think you need him to respond. And when that happens, we can sometimes not trust God. And so, as I said last week, it can leave a a scar on your soul, and you can become hardened into this idea of prayer. But God is welcoming you to trust him because he's a trusting God. And and here's here's a good quote. The foundation of our prayer is the goodness and love of our Abba. If God is your father, if he's your Abba, then guess what? God, like a parent, has your best intentions on his mind. He's going to give you what you need. And so he welcomes you to to come to him, knowing that he's going to respond to you like that. Amen. All right, so here's the last thing I want to do. Throughout this series, I want to give us just a little bit of time to actually engage God in prayer. We did it last week. I'm going to do it again this week. For some of you, um, you struggle with prayer. For some of you, prayer is not a fun thing. Um, and so me giving you just a couple seconds in, uh, in prayer as we worship might be a good thing. Maybe it's the one time this week that you will actually engage God. Especially so if you're here today and you've, you would say, I don't know God. You know, I'm still trying to figure out who God is, and so how can I pray to him? Well, actually, if you're praying to God to come to know God, then God is going to hear your prayer. He's going to hear your prayer as you confess your sin to him and tell him, you know what, I've messed up my life, and I sort of want to know who you are, and I would like to engage in this thing called prayer, but I just don't know how. And if you would have a conversation like that with God, he will hear you and he'll respond. He'll respond by um, opening your heart to want to know more about God. He'll respond to your confession of sin by helping you understand the gospel, that there's a, there's a, there's a God that loves you enough to send his son to this earth to, to live and to die for you. And that as you receive him, and that receive means that you receive what the Bible says about him, what he has come to do, And that as you believe in his name, that he will make you a son of God. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll help you learn more about God, and he'll welcome you into his family. If you're sitting here, and I I already got that that down. You say, I'm a Christian. I know God. Then perhaps you just need a couple minutes just to reacquaint yourself with your father, your Abba, your Papa. Perhaps for the first time that you will, you know, God won't be that entity out there that's sort of ruling, controlling over everything but he'll be 
your very own intimate dad that you can go to with anything that you want to go to. So let's take a minute and do that. Father, thank you that we have the privilege to call you Father. Today I call you Papa, Abba, and that sounds kind of strange coming out of my lips because I don't use those words very often. But those are the words that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, chose to use in regards to how we should come to you and pray. And so I pray that you would help us all to know that we have access to God like that, that we can actually call him Abba, that familial term, like a child coming to his dad. And Lord, make us comfortable saying that, using those terms. God, I pray for those who sit in these seats that you would help us know that you've invited us into your family. You've uniquely invited us into your family. You've adopted us as your children. And as your children, we've had, we have access to uh, your presence. There's not uh, a special time that we need to set up. We don't need to get on your calendar. That whenever we want to open our mouths, we can come and address you. Not as Lord, not as King of Kings, not as creator of the universe, but as Father, as Papa, Abba. And so, Lord, help us to, to do that. Lord, help us to be comfortable talking to you about the things that are on our hearts. Help us to be bold and honest. Lord, I pray more, just that you'd help us to trust you. To trust you with the cares of our hearts, to trust you with our concerns, to trust you with our families, to trust you with the things that are going on. The, I mean, the things that we don't want to tell anybody about. And to know that you can handle it. To know that as we talk to you about those things and give those things to you, that you have our best intentions at heart. Lord, help us to know and believe that you are a dad who has love and compassion and care for us, that you are a good, good father. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen.